What's up, y'all? It's Zach with Living Corporate. And my goodness, the year just continues to move forward. You know, I want to um, I want to pause and say there's a lot of uh, energy and increased ramp up white lash even around DEI and around diversity, equity, inclusion, around any concept that may seem to intimate that there are historically marginalized people in this country. Um, any any conversation that would seem to perhaps hint at any group of people was ever treated differently or that any group of people wish to have uh, inflict harm or oppress any other group of people. Uh, there continues to be increased animosity um, around the realities of the origins and structure of this country, as well as like the present experiences of, of people in this country. And it continues uh, to be demonized. Uh, you know, woke continue to be this amorphous uh, catch all phrase that really seeks to just um, erase any sort of uh, experience that is not um, accepted by racist people. <laughs> and I, I want to say that, like, what excites me and like really continues to give me truly selfishly y'all, a, a source of pride is that. Living Corporate has been about centering and amplifying historically marginalized voices, particularly black and brown, particularly black voices in the workplace for for years. And we were doing it before it was in vogue, um, disgustingly in vogue uh, for a brief moment um, after the, the murder of George Floyd. Um, and we continue we're going to continue to uh, our mission as um, as it becomes increasingly unpopular. Uh, our voice, our work here is not for the faint of heart. It is not for accolades or applause. It's not um, for, it's not even really for money. <laughs> uh, the work that we do here is mission and it's meant to be disruptively impactful. It's meant to be honest and it's meant to, it's meant to genuinely provide a point of resource and encouragement for those who are happen to find themselves as the onlys in their day-to-day workplaces. Their workplaces could be um, the, some corporate office. It could be some hourly job. It could be in them trying to find work. It can be in them seeking to find employment because they are one of hundreds of thousands of black folks right now who have been disparately impacted by layoff decisions and continue to be disparately impacted in hiring decisions. And so Living Corporate, uh, I think the whole point of this intro is just to say that Living Corporate is not uh, is not going anywhere. And um, as as rhetoric will continue to increase, you know, our fight doesn't change. Our mission doesn't change. Our message doesn't change. And, you know, I, I say all that to also say I'm really excited and thankful for the conversation I was able to have uh, with Christy Singletary, who's a global leader of diversity, equity, inclusion at Pfizer. We talk a little bit about her background and some of the interesting places she worked and really how she got into diversity, equity, inclusion. And also, um, what does it really look like to make sure that Pfizer continues to be a fair and equitable place to work for everybody, particularly historically marginalized people? Um, I'm appreciative of Christy and her time. I'm appreciative of our ongoing campaign with Pfizer, and um, I'm excited about uh, the next few conversations you're going to be hearing here. I want to make sure that if you haven't already, that you click the link in the show notes. You can check out Pfizer's page on the Living Corporate website that uh, takes every episode, every 
uh, interview that we've had as a part of this extended series over the past several years. Uh, you can like check him out. I'm really proud of the work that we've been able to do. I want to make sure to, again, shout out to the Pfizer team. Now, all that being said, uh, we're going to go ahead, take a step back, pay a few bills. The next thing you're going to hear is a conversation between myself and Christy Singletary. Talk to you soon. Christy, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good, Zach. How are you doing? You know what I'm doing? You know what I'm saying? Just trying to take it a day at a time, you know? Um, You know, let's talk about, let's get going, right? Because there's a lot I want to discuss, quite a bit to cover from your background, your journey, your focus, your priorities, you know, some of your philosophies around this work in this space. So let's get started with just your journey um, and how it led you to Pfizer uh, and yeah, just what were the culminating events? Like, and I asked that it's interesting because every person that we've had as a part of this series, they all have their own unique journey, their own unique why. I'm curious to understand yours. Oh, this is a great question. Um, because to be honest, you know, I never would have imagined myself working in a pharmaceutical company. I would say that I've had a very zigzag career. I started off in the federal government. And then I hopped over and started working in tech and media. So I had a good stint at Yahoo for a couple of years. And I had the honor of working for Ramses Jean-Louis. And so he was our chief diversity officer at Yahoo. And we had we we continued to make tremendous pathways and and how we want to approach diversity and inclusion and some of the different things that we really wanted to make uh, prioritize. And, you know, just really inspired by great leadership. He was offered an opportunity to work over at Pfizer. You know, and to be honest, I really didn't think about that trajectory for myself. But, you know, when I started looking at into Pfizer, of course, it was well-renowned because during that time during COVID, you know, we had Pfizer was the, the brand that was the, the ideal place to go. It was the company that was literally saving the world. And, you know, when I looked at Pfizer, I not only was inspired by just the remarkable way that they transitioned light speed into getting a vaccine that helped millions and millions of people and saved lives. I also looked at the other work that we were doing um, around the world and how we have so many tremendous efforts going to developing countries and providing medicine and vaccinations there. And some of the work that we are doing across the multicultural collective. And, you know, I was I was really inspired by how the reach of Pfizer just going beyond and really ensuring that we are prioritizing people and everything that is the patient centricity that really inspired me to come here. And yes, so I was like, wow, it's a great way to embed and intertwine diversity, equity, inclusion with also the work of health equity and building an opportunity for people to have breakthroughs that will ultimately change their lives. You know, to to your point, um, and your passion around um, around patient centricity, and then really just people. I'd like to specifically double tap on your ten months as a senior program manager at ICE. I'm I'm curious, like, and we've talked about Living Corporate. We've talked about like different programs, both federal and non, that create uh, inequity or disinclusion or harm. Yes, you know. I'm curious what led you to ICE, and then what led you away from that job. 
You know, that's a, a great question. And, you know, I'll be completely honest here. So what led me to ICE, I had an opportunity to work in agile project management. And, you know, I really was fascinated by the idea of really focusing on the user and understanding user needs. So prior to my tenure at ICE, I worked at Department of Commerce. Um, I worked for the Te National Technical Information Service Agency, and we really focused a lot on data and we focused on how can we provide Essentially, we, we acted as like a repository for essential documents for other government agencies or, or for the public to use. And as we were shifting our model, we really got into how can we become user design and really understanding the empathy and we really target our products to ensure that they met the needs of our the end user. And um, so I had an opportunity to work at ICE as um, in their business analyt analytics and I really, I remember when I walked in there, it was a great opportunity. It was a massive environment, but I think that what the, what the message for me at that organization was to disconnect me from my previous role. Um, I had worked at that agency for many years and I became so embedded in there that I really couldn't see myself beyond the trajectory. So I think that what ICE helped me do is really just go beyond and know that there was more opportunities out there. And I think that it just helped separate and separate my connection to that prior agency. And I had the opportunity to work on a great project of really just identifying what customer needs were. So I, I was able to work with multiple clients, helping understand where, where, how do they like the reports? Like, how can we actually provide a tool that can be helpful for them to make better business decisions? And I think at that point, because I had, um, I didn't have as much of a internal personal connection as much as I did at my previous agency. I said, this was probably the ideal time to start looking for other opportunities and how can I really start that merger? Because prior to that, I, I loved working with people. I loved coaching. I loved mentoring. I always volunteered in these different organizations where I had the opportunity to help people advance their career projection and, and help them with career planning. And I always wanted to see if there was an area that I can merge the two. And, you know, during my year at ICE, you know, it's funny because I was there for such a short period of time, but what stopped was when we were actually furloughed. And when we were furloughed, I wasn't working. And I remember I was actually visiting a friend in New York. And at that point, I was starting to really start putting things into motion of how I can perhaps potentially leave the federal government and hop into a corporate job. And I was going up to visit my friend. And as I asked one of my other friends, you know, to take a look at my resume, she actually forwarded over to a recruiter and they're like, oh, well, you could be a great fit for diversity and inclusion. I'm like, oh, I don't know how you got that from my resume with it being in data, but, um, but sure, you know, I'll take an opportunity to meet with people, see how I like it. But I really didn't, I wasn't at that point ready to leave or make any of that, uh, that drastic of a change. But when I went up to the office and I went up to Verizon Media at the time, when I went to the office, I just fell in love with every single person who I spoke to. I was so inspired. I wanted, I, I said that this is exactly where I need to be. 
And what ended up, once we returned to work back at ICE, I had another job offer to work at Verizon Media. So essentially, I picked up everything. I moved from Washington, D.C. to New York and left the federal government. That's dope. I mean, it's a really good story. I'm curious, like, you sit in this DI position today, um, and I receive and hear your passion around people and things today. Do you believe that, uh, that ICE aligned with your core values? 1,000%. I honestly feel that when people have the opportunity to recognize their own power and to step into their talents, how they were uniquely designed, anything can happen. And when when you have a group of people, especially when you're at a company or when they're by themselves, and when you can recognize that, the, the magic that can occur from there. So what can actually help shift, make change, what could really make a difference It's amazing to me when people are able to have courage and step into that. So I truly feel that when everyone recognizes how they were uniquely designed and know that they are purposed for this world, then they are able to do anything that they put their minds to. And so when I love the work of diversity inclusion is one on an individual level to help people recognize that. And they're able to understand how they're uniquely designed. And then when on a corporate level or organizational level, how individuals can recognize their own talent and how that can beautifully tie together, how we can find connections and to see where we all mirror and can merge together to make something really impactful and change the world. So I love, you know, what I'm, my value is really understanding and unpacking how could we always continue to build that. And my curiosity of how sometimes it takes us longer to recognize what are some of those institutional or systemic structures that are in place that sometimes prohibits us to see that. So, you know, I really love identifying of how we can lessen those those barriers for people to really see themselves. You know, they can see how they are truly impactful and they are each given doorways to walk through to showcase who they really are. I appreciate that. So it sounds as if like, so so one, what I, I like, again, like goes back to like your people centric uh, kind of seemingly worldview, right. Um, Of like, you're really thinking about the individual and their story. It also sounds as if you are decoupling like the function and mission of ice and more so talking about your experience with the people that you worked with in ice which is very interesting. Um, helpful. Thank you. Let's get going. Um, DEI uh, continues to be under increased scrutiny by right-wing talking heads. And we're seeing organizations deprioritize or outright decommit from the pledges they made um, from a couple years ago uh, from the murder of George Floyd. I- I'm curious as what keeps you focused and hopeful um, for, uh, for what you were able to deliver and achieve at Pfizer. You know, what keeps me focused at Pfizer and what how Pfizer to me has separated is that we've we've had equity in our values. That is the way that we institute and how we expect our behaviors is to really be driven with equity. And, you know, I love the aspect that that is something that is embedded in everything that we do. So a lot of times, you know, when we looked at George Floyd, all of a sudden, when the murder of George Floyd happened, it was awakening, you know, and what, and you know, what's interesting about the George Floyd is that that had been occurring for years, that the murder of George Floyd was 
something that black and brown communities under marginalized communities have been experiencing for years. But what made it unique is the fact we were in a pandemic. And so we were forced, we were all forced to look on a screen and see this injustice. We were all forced to look at, and it was visible and we couldn't hide from it. And, you know, so therefore when people wanted to step into mode and try to take action and resolve it immediately, but we know that this is a, a it wasn't a sprint. It was something that's a marathon and what we had to continue on and really drive and, and see that progress over time. You know, we, so when we see that a lot of companies have stepped away or they probably are experiencing DEI fatigue, we know that because this is such a shared effort at Pfizer, that everyone is committed to it. We have it in our values. We have it in our goals. We are each held accountable to ensuring that we are driving the way forward. So knowing that this is a shared responsibility and we are all accounted for it keeps me hopeful. And also to see that everyone, how we're inspired to put forth the effort, it is always a continued conversation of how can we improve? How can we build better lives? How can we how can we ensure that we are driving equity across promotion process in the way that we do things? So that is what keeps me hopeful is that knowing that is not an isolated conversation, that is something that is echoed throughout the organization. You know, to that point, um, and really to like your own journey um, as a as a as a diversity, equity, inclusion professional and leader, in 2020, you earned um, a DEI HR certificate from Cornell. Talk to me about that experience and, and, and what you learned. What I love the most about the DEI, DNI certification, and I see a lot of individuals getting that certification as well, which is great because, you know, being a black female as well as a veteran, we there's a lot of intersectionality and I'm pretty sure you as well, like being a black and there's a lot of intersectionality in our experiences where we can speak from that. We can speak from that standpoint of understanding, Hey, you know, this is how things need to be moving forward. You know, everyone has a place at the table. How can we create that equity? What I love the most about the DNI HR certification is how it mirrored and connected both human resources and DNI, because oftentimes, sometimes DNI can be very pro Programmatic, but when we're talking about it from making systemic and institutional changes, this, that certification helped provide much more of an academia approach to give terminology. How here are certain tools to make assessments. Here's what pathways of how you can strategize moving forward. So it really helped provide a much more academic approach to how we want to carry forward DEI. So it wasn't not only speaking a bit from someone who's experienced it and how to really navigate some of those different terrains, but it helped provide really a roadmap and a framework that you can leverage and truly have a strategy that scales across an organization. You know, it's interesting because so, so I have this, I have this like resistance or like these reservations rather about like these like certification programs sometimes. And one, I, I haven't taken one to be very clear. I've not gotten a DEI certification um, from a, from, uh, from any institution, let alone a predominantly white one. But my, my, on the outside, it almost feels like it's almost kind of like a cash grab, but it sounds like your experience was mm -hmm. where you actually learned something. Yes. And I think it's always a, it's always a remembering you're going to get in what you put out, right? You're going to get, you're going to get out whatever you put in, I should say. And yes, it's, 
It's all that. And, you know, when we're looking at from being a practitioner and a DI certificate, like what exactly does that mean? You know, what does it mean to be someone who is an expert in that field? And I think that for me, it was more so as a tool. It wasn't as, um, so when I look at the DNI certificate, it just helped provide tools in our tool belt to help solve some issues or to help diagnose or to help bring better conversations that we're, we're having in an organization. So as a team, we all looked at, in my previous organization, we looked at how can we continue our certification? How can we continue to build upon our expertise as we're having conversations with different business units? And as we were really tr going through and identifying, you know, we, we knew that this DNI certification can just help provide as a tool. So, you know, it, it just helped enable and enable us to make different decisions, um, how to look at things on a broader perspective rather than things on just more on a programmatic level. So, you know, where I look at, you know, sometimes it isn't, you know, you get a certification and automatically, you know, you just become this know-all, but mm -hmm. it was more so as something to help provide language that could be challenging in certain situations when you're looking at across a strategy. So, you know, let's talk about Pfizer some more. Like, what does it mean to be a global leader of diversity, equity, and inclusion at a company this big? And I'm curious how this experience is different from past organizations. Yes, I would say that, you know, at my previous organization, I worked at a global company. However, where Pfizer is different is you have different types of personas and personnel here. So it's not just, you know, everyone has access to a computer. We all have different parts of the business that are completely different from others. We have a commercial side. We have a manufacturing side. We have business administrative functions. So we have different representatives across the organization to where when you're looking at messaging, everything, everyone is having completely different experiences. So, you know, knowing that, so when I look at a global DNI leader, it's not only just looking at it from you having a broad stroke, but it's creating a fit for purpose for that particular individual or that employee based off of their experience here at Pfizer. So it's not necessarily, I'm going, you can have for example, a learning strategy that is one, everyone go to a computer when not everyone has an access to a computer. So it's being creative and how can we still reach out to those different colleagues to have that so they can have the same experience as someone who may have access to a computer at all times. Or it is, you know, some of the experiences on just the day-to-day -day maneuvering. How are we creating strategies to ensure there's equity across the board. So when I look at it from a global leader from this perspective, it's being knowing that you have to create regional and localized approaches, that it's not just something that one broad stroke will solve all issues. Um, it's really looking at it from a perspective of partnering with different business units and understanding their unique needs as they provide input. So it is certainly a co-creation of how you want to move forward um, and how you can best serve those colleagues at that level and whatever their, their specific experiences are. You know, I look at a lot of the things too from Pfizer, which is different. You know, Pfizer is a truly global company. I think that 
in previous years, I worked at an organization where we're pretty much primarily U.S. centric. Um, so this Pfizer is different where, you know, a third of our company, our population is from the U.S. The rest is from the, around the world. So you're talking about a truly representative organization from different parts of the world. And taking in mind that you have to have very there be very intentional with the work that you're doing, the programs that you're launching and understanding that it's going to be a co-creation with different leaders from around the world to understand those specific needs. You know, you talked about collaboration and really there's like this, uh, there's this business partner element to what I'm hearing, right? Like when you think about how Stratify or, or Matrix, perhaps um, Pfizer as a global entity is, um, I'm, I'm curious, you know, oftentimes DEI and HR, they exist in parallel, but they don't really exist in coordination. An example of where I've, I've seen and I've experienced HR and DEI not always uh, really being lockstep or really in true coordination is around data, right? Reporting, people analytics. I'm, I'm curious, how have you been able to build trust and collaborate with HR for Systemic Impact Advisor? Absolutely. So I would say that this is a great question because oftentimes DNI can live and breathe like in its own. And then that's when it's not, you don't see the impact. Um, where DEI and HR exist is that it is indeed a collaboration. It is not something that DEI can do on its own because all the work that we what we focus on has some touch point across the employee life cycle. So knowing that with our recruiting, for example, with our recruiting or interviewing, we need to be a part of that conversation. And we have to ensure that there are different kind of methodologies and how we can create objectiveness to where bias doesn't creep in. We also are ensuring that we have our representation at different pro conferences that do represent a particular ethnicity or a particular group of community. So we want to make sure that we have HR, we have talent recruiters who are at those different those different conferences representing and speaking on behalf of the organization. So all those different pieces there, we want to ensure that there is that cross step as we are moving along. And when we look at people analytics, we you can't make any changes without data. So data is what helps us provide and drive direction on where we need to go. You know, we um, in order for us to see any kind of movement, we need to know where we currently stand. So data helps provide that very targeted approach of where we need to drive our efforts and where we exactly need to lean into. So, for example, if looking at across the employee, the hiring cycle, you know, you can look and see and identify, for example, Pfizer, if we are not getting certain communities to the to offer, you know, where can we actually identify opportunities to have a much more diverse panel to ensure that we have a diverse slate? So we're able to make those kind of decisions based off of some of our, our partnership with our people analytics team. So we work with our people analytics team here at Pfizer to ensure that we have, you know, different questions within our surveys, we have a, an, a glimpse of what our representation looks like. And because we do have a parity goal of ensuring that we have representation of 33% minority and 47.5% females at the VP level by 2025, that is a collective effort across all. So people analytics is feeding us that data to ensure where we need to drive 
those efforts. So not only do we want to ensure that the people analytics is feeding that information to ensure we know where we want to drive our focus, but it we have to be in partnership with HR to ensure that we have that movement. So DEI actually also sits within the, we call it people experience here at Pfizer because it really indeed is about the people's experience as they are coming into Pfizer and how they are moving throughout the organization. We know that there's indeed an experience to capture. So we ensure that we are we are within there and partnering with different parts of the organization to ensure that there are DEI programs and measures in place. That's really dope. And it's interesting, right? Like so often organizations, they'll hire um, a D they'll try to stand up a DEI function and uh, they won't really empower them with any sort of resource or information to make an impact. They don't really care about really driving and identifying KPIs to to measure against over time or anything like that. Sounds very different at Pfizer, and that's cool. To that point around support, collaboration, and resources, DEI roles suffer high turnover because they're overworked and undersupported, right? So, like, Christy, I'll tell you, like, there's so many people I talk to, mainly black women. Um, they typically last in a DEI role for, I'm going to say tops, like three years, but typically it's about one and a half to two. You've been at Pfizer in this role a little bit over a year. I'm curious what has kept you here. And then like, what, what do you think will keep you here to beat that general trend of about two and a half to three years? You know, I would say that Regardless of our role, one one of the things that it is we're humans, you know, and this is deep work um, and it matters a lot. Like there is something called DEI fatigue. Mm -hmm. So it's completely understandable. That question is great because it is understandable how people are fatigued. It is understandable how people um, feel as if they're not making progress. And that is a very common and common feeling for a lot of DEI practitioners. I would say what keeps me going is knowing that one, how I have to feed into self. Um, I realized in working in diversity inclusion that exercising a lot of self-compassion has been a necessity. Compassion and grace and knowing that, you know, there's sometimes you have to take a, a step back to fill in your cup, to fill your cup before helping others. So it's a lot of momentum when you're trying to do, do, do and, and getting out there to solve all the issues, but keeping in the back of your mind that, you know, this is indeed a marathon. This is a long way of where we're going to still continue to see change. And there's going to be bumps on the road. There's going to be these different things. But knowing that you can take a step back to recharge and then refuel to come back to the work because the work is always going to be there. So what keeps me going is just knowing to take care of myself to make sure that I am feeding myself first before having to serve others. Cause sometimes it, DEI fatigue is a real thing. And you know, what keeps me going is just knowing that there is a pathway um, celebrating small success to know, Hey, that this is a conversation that was eye opening, even if it was for 12 people, you know, they, Three people or four people walked away with some nuggets that they can continue to change. And then you can start seeing that ripple effect, um, knowing that, you know, being able to make it through and just doing your best every day and the capacity of whatever that looks like for you is knowing that that is 
we're still continuing the trek on. We're still continuing the journey. So I would say that for me, it's, it's really about knowing that you have a supportive team. Um, you have a supportive leader. A lot of folks are embedded into this work and want to ensure that it's a shared, like I mentioned before, is a shared collective responsibility throughout the organization. That knowing those different tools, knowing those different things is what helps keep me in the role. And it helps keep me with a DEI and focus that is in order for the change to know that it's going to be a pathway moving forward. To that end, you know, what are you most proud of, um, of leading in your time here thus far? And then, like, what are you most excited to lead as we look towards the rest of this year? Oh, I would say the most exciting thing to lead. Uh, one of my focuses has been the diversity, equity, inclusion learning journey. So we wanted to create a curriculum to really ensure that we are all moving on the same path. And we call it the learner's journey to allyship. We have a lot of efforts moving forward of how can we really connect and ensure that we all have the same understanding of what diversity, equity, and inclusion is, and having that basic knowledge that every colleague here at Pfizer would have. And so knowing that we are going to launch this, knowing that you know everyone will receive the same inclusion learning, as well as having deep dive conversations on what that looks like as leaders to build conscious inclusion, that is one of the most exciting things that I would say I'm working on and, and continuing to uncover some different works within the organization um, of knowing how we have different proponents in DEI councils and conversations and knowing how a lot of folks are invested into this work is so exciting to see how we are uplifting all of that here at Pfizer. I love that. Well, well look, here, here's the last question. You know, as, as we think about this year, it being we're recording this in the, in the year of our Beyonce, 2023. Um, but, you know, in a season where black and brown folks continue to be disparately impacted by layoffs and experience higher periods of unemployment than their white counterparts. And that's been a, a trend since um, since 1619. I mean, that's just been the way it is. Uh, what advice would you give to organizations that are seeking to create equitable employee experiences? You know, I would say, um, so I love this question, Zach, because it really helps like piling things on um, in all my previous experiences in value add. And one of the things that I always focus on is what what is the end user? How is the end user going to receive it? And how are they are they going to be impacted? Sometimes we we negate to understand the power of intention versus impact. So we can constantly put it, we can have good intentions, but sometimes they do not land. I would say my advice to organizations is to always create a co-designing effort of how you can both work in tandem together to how you can design what that future looks like for black and brown people to coexist in this mirada of, of an organization. You know, there's a lot of um, acknowledging the complexities of how this, how we move forward and institutional policies and systemic, all these different things play a part. But what is the beautiful thing is when you can actually create a collaborative experience to where you can bring all the communities together to co-create how it look, what that future looks like ahead. So knowing that in order for to create those equitable experiences uh, for employees, 
ask them, be involved with your employer resource groups, be involved with different stakeholders from communities and have open and honest dialogue about what that actually looks like. What are the problems that are occurring now? And where is that future state that you want to be to? And then identifying and co-designing, what does that, what do milestones look like? How do we know we're moving towards the same direction? And when do we need to acknowledge when something may not work, that we need to pivot? Maybe we need something's changed within the world. We see that the government changes world policies all the time. So how do we continue to be agile enough to ensure that we are continuously acknowledging and involving all these different pivots to know that we are designing an experience for black and brown folks that will continue on in our journeys here at whatever organization you're at. So I always highly encourage that co-collaboration It because it is an effort for the communities to come together and say, this is what an equitable community looks like at our organization. And we both own this because we designed it together. Christy, I love that. And this has been a dope conversation. You know, I I, I really appreciate your time. Um, I consider you a friend of the show. You're welcome back anytime. I'd love to to hear more about the ways that Pfizer is creating um, equitable experiences for their employees. Um, and Because I know we've been having really great conversations about the work that Pfizer is doing to invest in, in, uh, in their local communities. So um, before we let you go, any parting words or shout outs? No, I would say thank you so much for having me on this show um, to have an episode to feature my voice. I mean, that means a lot to me. Um, you know, it's it's so incredible. I love the work of diversity, equity, inclusion. And I love the fact that you're uplifting voices around to really figure out how we can all work in this together. It's, everyone has a best practice or has a shared experience that can only help us advance this work forward. So thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, I want to shout out to all, I can't even name all the names, but I would say that, you know, I've been so impressed with leadership across the organization. I've been impressed with leadership in different industries of how we're really raising the voices of this work and how it is becoming much more conversational. Um, we are having those tough dog dialogues. We are doing bold moves. So I am I'm so invigorated by all the change that we're seeing throughout the organizations to really ensure that we're building an equitable community moving forward. So Thank you for doing this work, and, and I applaud you for everything that you do, Zach. Oh, you got me blushing over here. I know the camera's not on, but I am. It's a little light shade, <laughs> light shade of purple. Uh, we will talk to you soon, Christy. Yes, thank you. Peace. Yo, and we're back. I want to thank Christy. I want to thank Pfizer. I want to thank everyone out here who's really trying to uh, make genuine, authentic efforts to do this work in a real way. I think there's always going to be space. There's always going to be uh, energy around the performative stuff uh, regarding DEI, right? Like, hey, we'll just want you to talk about it. Hey, we just want you to, you know, write a cute post or a nice blog. Uh, but there's real systemic work to do that really challenges uh, the structures and systems by which uh, a lot of these inequities are not only created, but have continued to be up upheld. And I want you to know that there's layers and levels to DEI work. 
awareness is always going to be a thing. I'm going to tell you the truth, though, that like Google is real. Right. So like most of us know what's really going on. It's about connecting the dots and making sure that people understand what to do about what's going on, giving people practical tools and solutions and resources so they can be supported and they can be a support to others. That's really like where we're going, right? Like that's really the differentiator in this work and turns it from window dressing into something really impactful. All right. Look, I love y'all. I want you to take care of yourselves. We will be talking soon. Peace. Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.